our Bible reading is um, a letter to the Colossians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church. And in it, he tells them what he's praying for them. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told, you, told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Good morning. Great to see you all too. I want to thank those of you who are part of this local church for your warm welcome to me three weeks ago as a church member. And as I've been away preaching elsewhere the last couple of weeks, I haven't had a chance to really say thank you for that, and I really appreciate it. Uh, many of you will know that it's uh, not my first time as a member. I was, this is my second season. I was a member of this church between 1980 and 1985, so that really makes me feel my age. <laughs> uh, it was right after our family moved here to St. Andrews, and not long after I had become a Christian down south. And so when we arrived here, I was very excited about my new friendship with Jesus, and uh, I was really eager to grow and to learn. And so I was so grateful to you and to this family uh, for the welcome in this church and how I was so wonderfully nurtured and, uh, and, and discipled um, and encouraged actually to go on in my own journey 
of Christian service. Those five years were a highly informative and formative time to me in my life, and I'm ever so grateful to God and to you for that. And one of the core values that God showed me in those early years of being a disciple, which has remained with me ever since as hugely important, is that in its fundamental way, the church of Jesus Christ is family, because it was family that I was welcomed into and loved by. I guess because I was young then, and because I'm not so young now, there's not so many of you who can remember those days. <laughs> and uh, most of the people who were our brothers and sisters at that time have been promoted. Uh, we'll see them again in, as we've been singing. We look forward to that. But uh, I remember many of them very well. And uh, one of the elderly couples who, and one of the many elderly couples who really took me into their hearts and under their wing in a sense were James and Betty who used to sit on the back pew there where the sound desk guys are. There was no sound desk in those days. And uh, whenever I would come in this door, they were always there before me, and they would greet me and welcome me and ask me how I was doing and really affirm me as a young man in Christ. And uh, many times they welcomed me in their home. And we used to have great fun. James especially was a real character and um, really enjoyed their fellowship together. And I also always used to speak about their son, their son, Alistair. Uh, Alistair was off with his family in some far, it seemed to me, some far-flung place in the world where he was on mission, he was in dynamic Christian leadership. And as James and Betty told me, especially James, about these stories, I was really inspired. I confess I can't remember the details of the stories, but I do remember being really enthralled and inspired. And I also remember all these years later that we used to pray for each other and those prayers all, always included prayers for Alistair and his family. Well, the years have gone by and um, over those many years, uh, on occasions when my visits to see mum and dad here in St. Andrews and Alistair's visit to come on his annual pilgrimage to his hometown, because he lives in America, has done for many years now, uh, they coincided. And so it has been a joy over several occasions to get to know Alistair a bit, having known his dear mum and dad. And last year, because I'm now living here, when Alistair came, um, we were able to have a lot more time together. We met on several occasions, and so has begun a deeper level of brotherhood. And while Alistair's living in America, he's been writing emails to me through the year. Emails of great encouragement. Emails like a father might write to a son. Emails including prayer for me and the situation that I am in. A situation in the last year that has not been easy in many ways. And I'm so grateful. And Alistair's here this morning because he's on his annual pilgrimage again. He's actually Ian's cousin as well, and James and Betty were Ian's uncle and aunt uh, as well. Um, wonderful times that we remember. And so I want to thank you, Alistair, for your brotherhood. And uh, now that I'm a member of the church again, I can add my welcome <laughs> to you back to your, your church where you grew up. <clears throat> now, why am I sharing this? Well, <clears throat> as we're continuing our series, this particular series this morning, of sermons called Learning to Pray, 
from Paul's prayer. We come to this particular one that Fiona has just read to us. And it seems to me that what God would have us focus on this morning from these verses is how he wants to affirm to us the vital importance of our praying for each other. I know that many of us here, even this morning, will really just be celebrating and thanking God for the power of prayer that brothers and sisters in this church or elsewhere have prayed. And so this message is to really say, it's great that you pray on Zoom on Saturday mornings or in the Wednesday meetings or in your small groups or in other relationships or in your marriages or friendships or wherever and on your own, of course. So important, so vital, so core and central to our lives and our lives together. So keep going and continue growing in it. And let's consider what we can learn and be reminded about and perhaps grow in understanding from these particular verses. And we're looking at verses 1 to 14, as you can see, and verses 3 to 8 really are a great prayer of thanksgiving. We've been saying thank you this morning a lot. And then the verses 9 to 14 are the beginning of a prayer of intercession that Paul makes for that church. So we're thinking this morning about the vital place of spirit-led prayer for one another. The first thing I want to draw out from this, this kind of prayer is vital to keep us engaged with the main person in our lives and in our relationships. So this letter that Paul writes to Colossae is a warm and caring and very strongly purposeful letter. And the opening words are a prayer. This church is a young church. It's uh, not that long been planted. And Paul himself has never met the people there, but he has a relationship with them, partly through Epaphras. Epaphras was traveling in Ephesus when he met Paul and the believers there and through Paul and the others he also became a disciple of Jesus and then he came from Colossae he went back to his home city at Colossae and he seems to have planted the church that now is there Paul describes him verse 7 as a fellow bond servant so Paul being called to be an apostle in that time across the area he has a relationship with the people that way but more fundamentally, Paul has a relationship with them spiritually and in Christ. Verse 2, faith in Christ they, they, are, they are evidencing by their fruit of love for all the saints. Verse 4, Paul knows that these believers show love in the spirit. Verse 8, Paul is connected with these people because they are all in the body of of Christ and his message will particularly be about ensuring they know the preeminence of Jesus being Lord but he's beginning before he goes into that just to connect with who is the big person it's lovely to see you all here today who's the big person in the room the big person is our father the big person is our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. The big person is the Holy Spirit. He is the central person 
He is the one who's at the center of who we are and what it means to be his people, to be family in this place. And so Paul is very excited about these fellow believers in Christ, and he's concerned for them. He sees that they have good foundations, but they're young and they're immature, and he wants to make sure that they grow strong, and that's what the letter will be about. And so he's talking about them to Timothy, who's with him, who's one of his closest connections on earth, I guess, one of his closest brothers. But this prayer reminds us that Paul is mainly talking about the Colossians to the big person. The big person in the room, the big person in the relationship, the big person in his life, the biggest person, the central person, who ties it all together. The one who is God, our Father, the source of life, the reason that we're here. How wonderful that, um, I forget, I don't know the little girl's name, your, your daughter was led to share that story of creation, just reminding us we are here because we are made by our Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit directed her, I guess, to remind us of that, who constantly cares for us, who constantly extends himself to us to save us and to bless us. You know, I appreciate it when we pray for each other, Lord, please be with Paul or be with Alistair or be be with whoever else I, I think there's a place for that but and sometimes I also think are we actually praying a superfluous prayer because the Lord said I will never leave you nor forsake you I'm the big person who whatever you are doing 24 7 is fully always with you so it's not the prayer to be thank you father that you're here help us to engage with you help us to hear what you're constantly speaking to us Help us to see how you're constantly moving around us. Help us to see who you are moving to make a disciple in my life that I can join you in your mission, or wherever it might be. I think one of the devil's greatest tricks with prayer is to kid us to think it's boring, or it's tedious, <laughs> or, oh no, not another prayer meeting. And then we're missing, we're forgetting the opportunity, the need to come together and to pray for one another to the one who is with that person in America or wherever they are as much as he's here or right next to us who is working his divine purpose out and who wants to use us. So let's keep the main person the main person, listening to him, talking to him, participating with him. So prayer for each other is central to the fellowship of the Christian church. Secondly, this kind of prayer is vital to give us an avenue to say a healthy, a vital, important thanks. We've been doing that in our worship. And prayer also gives us another way of saying thank you to him for each other. Many of you will know that my dear dad passed away two and a half years ago. He was also a member here for all those years. And... Um, in his last days, it was really a miracle for me that uh, I was able, to, it was in the height of the pandemic, and I was able to get one of the few flights from Germany where I was living to, to Scotland to be able to spend the last three weeks of his life with him and mum and, and the family. And um, as he declined, 
and came towards the end, he wasn't able to feed himself anymore. And so one of the tremendous honors really was to be able to take my turn in feeding dad. It was like he used to feed me when I was a little baby. And then I would be with a spoon and the and the, it was liquidized food. He couldn't take solids, just feeding him one spoon at a time. Such a blessed three weeks, such a special time of bonding and closeness in his final days and, and hours. One of the key aspects of that that I will never forget is that every time I put a spoon in his mouth and it was hard for him to swallow, it had to be done slowly took a long time to drink a cup of tea or to have a bowl of soup. Every mouthful, he said, thank you. And again, thank you. I think for others in the house, it began to sound like a, a record that got stuck <laughs> because they didn't know he was having his meal, but they could hear him with his loud voice, thank you, thank you, thank you. That has, has remained with me. I read recently the research shows that grateful people have less depression and stress. Gratitude is a key aspect of health and especially a healthy relationship of any kind. Apparently, when we're, when we're grateful, it produces a, a hormone called oxytocin, I think we pronounce it, which some people call the love hormone. Uh, because apparently when we say thank you to each other, it builds a greater connection of bond between us. If that's the case between us and one another, and our loved ones and anyone, how much more between us and the one who made us, the one to whom we belong, the one who is constantly lavishing grace and love and care and power into our lives? How inappropriate when we forget to say thank you. How vital it is that we say thank you. And so Paul is thanking God and he's thanking them for this particular church because he's thanking God for what he sees God has done. So if you look at those verses, and if you also look at the verses at the end of this section, the 12 and the 13, he's thanking God for uh, the fact that because of God's work, these precious brothers and sisters qualify to share in the inheritance of the saints in God's light. In other words, they have been made sufficient by God's gracious work in the gospel to be able to be there forever, sharing the very self-existent life of God in their own lives now and forever because of what God has done. Verse 13, they have been rescued from the immediate danger of the domain of darkness, where God's light is hidden to those who prefer to live on their own terms without God, like we all were before conversion. But God has plucked them from that darkness and brought them into his light. Verse 13 to 14, he's transferred them to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because of God's work in their life, the punishment for their sins has been pushed away. God did it. And although Paul, in many other of his letters, had a more direct involvement with the churches he wrote to uh, before, in this case, he hasn't had that direct involvement. So uh, he's even more saying this is to do with what God has done. Thanks 
is always due to God. And it is due to God also for those brothers and sisters that he has blessed us with. Notice the frequency of thanks too. Verse 3, we give thanks for you always when we pray for you. And I know many of us do that. You know, when we, when we pray for somebody in a prayer meeting, we usually start, thank you, Father, for Mr. X or whoever. Thank you for what you've done. That's healthy. That's good and so right for us. And thirdly, this kind of prayer in the Spirit is vital to help facilitate this divine family that we're part of, to see it grow and develop. Um, when I was uh, training it for, to be a pastor, a Baptist pastor at Spurgeon's College in London, one of the lessons I learned from this was actually from a politician. Our local MP there in that part of London at the time was Sir Bernard Jenkin. Who at, he was also at that time the Speaker of the House of Commons. Some of you may remember him. And he was a practicing believer. And so the principal of the college invited him to come and address us. And after he'd given his message, he said, if any of you guys would like, we didn't say guys, but if any of you would like to come and uh, have a tour of, of the Houses of Parliament, you're welcome. And so about 12 of us went up one day to meet him. He gave us three hours of his precious time. It was quite phenomenal, really. We went all around the House of Commons, around House of Lords, and he took special pride in showing us his palace. The speaker has a palace, huge part of that building, the bit that's near Big Ben. It's kind of parallel with, if you're, if you're going to walk across Westminster Bridge, if you know London, just as you're going up the ramp of the road where you've got the, the Westminster building on your right, that bit there is the Speaker's Palace. And right along that stretch, the whole length of that bit of building is an amazing dining room. And he showed us his dining room. And this dining room probably had, I mean, the, the, it was a long, very narrow table. So you could talk across the table, but there were enough seats for uh, probably about 100 people, really. I think he told us there's 100 seats there. And, um, and with, a, with a, a gleeful smile and a twinkle in his eye, he said to me, you know, some of the best friendships in the house are formed in this room. He said, once a month, I throw a big dinner party for members of the house, and I invite many, a hundred of them to come at a time, and I very carefully and strategically seat them where I want them to sit. And I make a point of sitting, seating people who really struggle with each other in the house, especially across the house. I sit them together, or I sit them oppose, opposite each other, so I force them to talk to each other. And he said, it's amazing. Some of the closest friendships in the house are across the house, with people whose political views are diametrically opposite. And those friendships are forged in this room. I've often remembered that as I've been a member of six churches since I was a member here before. I've been a pastor of five of those churches. And in all of those churches, because I'm not perfect, and all the other people are not perfect too, God always seems to have put somewhere in the middle of it somebody who I find really difficult to relate to. Or somebody else. I can think of particular people who I know have really struggled to relate to me. They've found me a difficult person in some aspect, some part of my timekeeping. Oh, I don't know what it was, something like that, or whatever it was. We all have our flaws. We're all work in progress. 
But Paul is reminding us that we are family. You know, as I've seen that, I've often thought of that adage, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. But we are family. Timothy, verse 1, is our brother. Paul obviously had a very close, intimate uh, friendship and bond of spiritual father and son, but it seems that as they are both praying together and writing this letter together, Paul and Timothy, well, at least it says it's from them, they seem to want to together stress that although we've never met you, Colossians, we want you to know that we regard you as well as an important part of our spiritual family. I'm told that it's the only one of Paul's letters where the recipients are called brothers and sisters. It seems to be a particular thing that he's drawing out here. To the saints, those who started to become different with Jesus living in them by the Spirit, and the faithful brethren. Brethren. Faithful, enabled by God to become loyal to him because they're born again, because they are identified in him. They become like him, a family of Jesus, faithful in Jesus, a family where even with difficult people, no one should ever feel alone. Even in a family of awkward people like me, nobody should ever feel or be forgotten. Saints and faithful brothers need each other. And difficult brothers... <laughs> Well, those that we find difficult, because I'm as difficult as anybody else, I guess, uh, are still given by God and need our thank. We thank God for them and we intercede for them. And the fact that we have this relationship of family that's so centered on the Father who's at the core of it and to whom we talk and thank and pray for each other means that we have to get to know each other. Paul says we have prayed, we've not stopped praying. Since we have heard about you, verse 4, verse 6, verse 9, and then verse 7, since we learned from Epaphras, four times talking about how they are informed about these believers in Colossae. And uh, this business of praying for each other and being a family in prayer for each other requires all of us to be involved. It's not just for the pastors or the church staff. All of us need to be involved. All of us need to be in a small group or connected somewhere where we are able to be, and we are stirred by the Spirit to be praying for the people that God has put in our orbit. We can't all get to know everyone, but everyone, in case, so that they're not going to be lonely, needs to have someone who's praying for them, someone that God has put them alongside. We all need to be involved. That's why we have membership. Fourthly, this kind of spirit-led prayer for each other is vital so that we can participate with God in what he is doing in each other's lives. I don't only thank God for the people, of, the members of this church from the past, I'm also really thanking him for you, the members that I'm getting to know, have got to know over the years of my visits, but now really getting to know that I'm back, and new members too. I live in the Buchanan Gardens right opposite, well, mum lives there too, that's her house, <laughs> We live right opposite DRA, so some of you live there, and one of those is Jale, our Chinese brother. He lives in DRA as well. And when we found that out, we found that we both like to have a walk uh, quite often before we go to bed at night, and especially in the winter, it seems a bit weird. It's cold and dark, but 
but we love to have our walk. But much more than a walk, Jale, I really appreciate the fact that we talk as brother to brother. We talk about Jale's family. We talk about our, our work and callings in life and where God's taking us. And at the end of every walk, we both say to each other, even though it's late at night, we feel so refreshed by the fellowship. And we always pray, don't we, Jale? And as Jalef prays for me, having listened to the conversation, I have a very strong sense every time the Holy Spirit is directing his prayer. He's praying for exactly what needs to be prayed. And then I pray for him and I find myself thinking, where did that come from? The Holy Spirit is guiding me, I believe, as I'm trusting him and listening to him to direct me. This is the kind of prayer and that's why I call it spirit-led prayer. The word prayer in verse 9 where Paul says we are praying for you ever since we heard of for you in the Greek, I think I'm right in saying it's a prosukomai which, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think means a kind of exchange. It's not the only word of prayer for prayer that we have in the Bible. It's a, it's a prayer where we really want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. We come with our desires and our needs. We present them to God, but we're also listening to the exchange of his Holy Spirit, bringing what he wants, what, what he is seeing in the pers- for the perspective of the situation, which is usually way higher or beyond ours. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And as we come to exchange with him, he can show us what those desires really are. So such prayer is so important. And prayers led by the Spirit for what he really wants to do and bring an answer even more important. Especially as we're all in a battle. Life for all of us is really often very hard. Especially as history goes forward, it seems to get even harder. One of the brothers that I worked closely with in the previous churches, I I can't say too much because of what the work he is he's doing. He's leading a missionary team that go into one of the most dangerous countries in the world. And um, I found when I was with him, I was always having to say to the church, we must focus on prayer for this brother and his family because again, some sickness is hitting them and some difficult situation clobbers them. And I have a very strong sense that because They are really in a work that's advancing the kingdom of God in an extremely dark and evil place. The enemy is hitting them hard. Prayer is such a key, key part of loving and supporting and seeing the victory come through. A couple of months ago, I was blessed to have a 10-day retreat up in uh, Blairmore House. It's near Huntley. Some of you may know it. I recommend it. It's a wonderful place. And uh, although it was a retreat, it wasn't a silent retreat, so we had some lovely fellowship as well as time on our own. And uh, some new friends that I met, several people, uh, one couple, an Indian couple, who were living in the, staying in the room next to mine, and the man is called Freddie, he's a pastor in America, actually. And um, on the second night of this 10 days, as we were retiring from our cocoa and going upstairs, he came to me with a very strong look in his eye, and he said, Paul, the Lord has just told me I must pray for you every day that we're here on this retreat. Oh, thank you very much. That's great. 
Every day he would say, Paul, I'm still praying for you. And he said that twice a day, every day for the whole 10 days. Very encouraging. And God was working and ministering and answering his prayer. Paul says here, verse 6, we have not stopped praying for you since the day we heard about you. This kind of powerful, battling, praying for one another is something that, and participating with God in what he's doing in each other's lives in real effective ways is something that needs persistence. I guess like the widow that Jesus talked about. Um, there's a tirelessness to it. This is vital. This is important. Again, we can't all pray for everyone, but the ones that God brings along into our calling to pray for and to receive prayer from. Fifthly, this kind of vital praying for each other is really important, I think, in encouraging one another to recognize what God wants to do in each other's lives. Uh, I recently had a birthday, and I received... Mom said, how many cards are you going to get from the post? I only got two. Well, one was from her, just the in, inside post, and then one was from my aunt and uncle, my dad's twin. But uh, I had hundreds on Facebook. <laughs> That's how it is these days, Mum. We don't use cards anymore. And I also had one greeting on a voicemail from a friend way on the other side of the world who left me a voicemail on WhatsApp. And as well as saying happy birthday, she said, I'm going to pray for you uh, some stuff. And oh, let me just pray anyway. And she prayed this prayer of thanksgiving and intercession. And I was thinking, whoa, that is where I'm at. That is spot on. That is really helping me to connect to God. That's helping me to recognize what God's up to in the challenges and joys of life. Sometimes, not always, Sometimes I think it is appropriate to share with the person what it is that the Holy Spirit has moved in our hearts to pray for them. It's part of the ministry of building each other up and growing and being the family. And finally, and in some ways maybe most importantly, this kind of prayer for each other is vital for one another to help each other go the full distance with God. Alistair, you prayed for me on the 13th of January. I don't know if you remember this, but you wrote in your email, I have you on my prayer list and will be praying for wisdom and guidance for you as well as your future in ministry. And I really appreciated that. My friend's voicemail prayer was very long, I'm just going to read you some of it. I wrote it down. It included, Heavenly Father, you're a faithful, gracious, and loving God. I want to thank you for blessing Paul with another year in his life. You have been so faithful and so good to him. I pray for Paul that he would have the mind of Christ and think as the Holy Spirit leads him. Keep his eyes from any temptation and turn his eyes to you, that he would clearly hear your voice giving him instructions, that he would only speak in spirit and truth, that in every decision he would honor you in all regards. I listened to it several times. I was so encouraged by that. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought, well, 
That, I think, is the kind of prayer that Paul is encouraging us, modeling for us, to use for each other. Paul's prayer, of course, is preparing for the main thrust of this letter. It's an appeal, as we said earlier, to, for the young new church to grow in maturity in Christ, especially up against a serious issue they seem to have of false teaching. They need to be reminded that it is Christ alone who is the Lord of all creation, including the invisible realm. Uh, I don't think we quite know what the issue specifically of false teaching was. There are different speculative ideas, but whatever it was, Epaphras has obviously brought the news to Paul. It seems that he's there in Rome now with Paul, sharing update from Colossae and saying there's some kind of false teaching that is distracting the new believers from just having Christ in his uniquely preeminent place as Lord. And this is not good for them. Could it be that we also suffer from that sometimes? You know, we believe in Jesus plus. We, we, we trust Jesus to be in control of our lives, but we still want to control it as well. We trust in Jesus incompletely, but, or do we? Because we also need that relationship, or we need that finance, or we need something else, we think. And we put those things in God's place. We somehow allow Christ to be demoted from his preeminent position as Lord, his unique preeminence, whatever. So Paul is praying a prayer into that situation. And if you just uh, look at that prayer from verse 9 to 14, you might want to just look at your Bible as we just quickly go through that to see this kind of prayer that, we are, that he is modeling is vital for us. As we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our prayers for those that we're called to pray for, what are we really uh, looking to do? We're looking to join the Holy Spirit in seeing what is his will to help this person to really go the full distance on their journey to heaven, going, becoming as much like you as they can, really finding their path in your service. What is it that you have for them? And so he prays, verse 10, that they will be able to walk, to live in a, a manner worthy of the Lord, that their life, when they go into, I used to work in the Royal Bank, when I go into the Royal Bank, or wherever it is you work, that the way I deal with the customers or the way I deal with those awkward uh, colleagues I used to have would, would, would reflect the holy wonder of God, his righteousness in a world of lies and fakeness coming through our thinking and our eyes and our words, his joy in a world of despair, his self-sacrificial love in a lonely world, in a war-torn world. For example, verse 10, he prays that they would be fully pleasing to God. I love David's prayer more and more where he prays, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Um, I pray, Lord, satisfy me all the time, not just in the morning, because I need that and I keep forgetting to ask you for it. And the more that I consider what that love is, that Hebrew word chesed, this covenant love, the love that really satisfies me is the love that the Father has for me to make a covenant with me so I can, always, I can also love him. So despite the fact that I'm a sinner and I'm not perfect and I'm still on my journey and I make mistakes and I dishonor him too often, his forgiveness and his covenant commitment means I can still please him. How much I enjoyed 
blessing my dad, as I explained to you, my earthly dad, when he was in need and always, it was just always good to be with him, to serve him as he served me. How much more, what a joy and the core purpose of life to please Father in heaven. Hallelujah. And so Paul is praying for that, that we would be ple- live lives that are fully pleasing. And that's something that only God can do as he helps us, but as we receive his help, we respond to him and go with, go with it. And verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. Um, God has originated assignments for all of us in our lives. His plan to use us with the gifts and the makeup and the experience that he's put into us. And uh, he has accomplishments that he wants to bring through us. And so Paul prays for these Colossians that they will be bearing fruit in all those things. Increasing, verse 10, growing, processing in the knowledge more than esoteric spiritual knowledge, not an intellectual knowledge, but more an experiential relationship knowledge of the one true almighty living God. And strengthened with all power, God's glorious dynamos, his glorious dynamic power, that they too will continually give thanks, as we've been doing, to God, verse 12. And that they would have all endurance God seems to allow many challenges, doesn't he, in his will for our lives, some of which we understand, we see what he's up to, many of which we don't understand yet. I guess we will do one day, I believe we will. But along the way, Paul's saying, I'm praying for the endurance that will keep you going through those things that God allows and directs with patience and joy, this Awareness of God doing his wonderful good, whatever the circumstances, verse 11. And verse 9 is like a a summary of all that. If all that's going to come, then he's really praying that you would be filled to reach your individual capacity, be filled to capacity with this relational, spiritual knowledge with intimacy with God, seeing him at work, God's will. Be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Not in this case his sovereign, unchanging plan, but his preferred will, the kind of work that he wants you to do, the kind of person he wants you to marry, the kind of behavior that is appropriate to choose. May you be filled with the knowledge of his will and with all spiritual wisdom, praying for wisdom, the wisdom that relates to the realm of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom that the Holy Spirit himself overrules and brings to bring the Lord's solution for problem solving, that's what wisdom is, I guess, and understanding, seeing all the dots joining up where we can't understand, where we need to see something. He prays for all these things. So we've been thinking this morning about the vital place of spirit-led prayer for one another. First of all, to keep us engaged with the big person in the midst to give us an avenue to say thank you to him, to God, for each other, to help facilitate our divine family relationship, to participate with God in what he is doing in each other's lives, to encourage one another to recognize what God wants to do in their lives, to help each other go the full distance with God 
Let me just close with a few questions for you to reflect on or take away. Who in the family exhorts you? Builds you up? Who has God led you to build up and exhort? Who are you connected to enough that people know where you're at, what God's up to? Who is praying for you? Who knows about your needs? Whose personal welfare and mission are you called to pray for? How well do you know that person to be informed sufficiently? Which small group are you in? Who might you be called to follow up even today or this week? Father, thank you for this portion of scripture that you've brought us to again this morning. Holy Spirit, would you help us to just absorb what you yourself have been saying, that we would be nourished and built, changed in whatever way you want, growing forwards, learning as we put into practice what you say. In the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake, we pray. Amen.